So y'all welcome Rusty to come on up here, and you're going to get your assignment today. Amen. Rusty, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, buddy. Love you. Amen. Well, it is great to be back in the great country of Texas. And, uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Um, <laughs> it, it is the great country of Texas. And I was talking to Pastor Joel, and I was reading an article, and uh, half a million people last year moved here for, for not a job transfer. They just moved here. And I told him, I said, uh, I'm probably going to have to be one of those soon because I ate some Alfredo sauce that had bacon in it last night. Um, and I thought I was going home to be with Jesus. It was that close. We were really close. And, uh, but uh, your pastor is such a wonderful pastor. Can you give it up for your pastor and his wife? They're wonderful, wonderful, powerful leaders. And it's always an honor and privilege to be here with you this morning. As pastor mentioned, uh, our, our families, uh, my grandparents moved in with us uh, about 18 months ago, um, and it was, a, it was a God thing for them to come be with us, and, and uh, they're in their 80s, and um, uh, granddad slipped and fell Thursday night, and, um, and if you knew him, he's a funny guy. In fact, when the paramedics came, uh, they said, well, sir, what hurts? And he said, I'm old. Everything hurts. <laughs> And we thought when the paramedics came, he's going to be okay. We got to the hospital, and they said, um, he's got a bleeding on the brain. And because he was on a medication called Plavix, which is a blood thinner, uh, at his age, they didn't give him much hope. And so today, thank you for your kindness and your prayers. Uh, I was talking to Pastor earlier this week, and, uh, and my grandmother said, no, your grandfather would want you to go. And so I'm here today because I feel like I'm doing it for honor, not only for your wonderful church and for the glory of God, but... I know my grandfather who sat on the second row for the last 18 months would want me to come preach. Amen. So I'm here today, for, and we just, I just believe God's going to minister today. How many believe that? Amen. Can I pray for you before we get going? Because I'm going to, today's going to be pretty practical. I know last time it was more preaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a different hat, and I want to be practical because my favorite thing to do is to help people figure out what on earth am I here to do. Amen. It's my favorite thing to do. Uh, and so when your pastor told me the series is in, I just mentioned to him, hey, I... I I have a talk that I get to do in, in some different conferences and some different places, and he said, man, it's perfect, and I about jumped through the ceiling. In fact, I was just, when he talked to me, I was on my way to play golf, and I had the best game ever. It was fantastic. <laughs> and when I say the best game ever, I only hit three houses. It was perfect, and because uh, usually it's about every hole. So let me pray for you that God will just, they're going to get a lot of practical things. But I promise you today, I hope you, you take notes, write some things down. If you don't have any paper, write on your neighbor's arm because it stays longer. And um, <laughs> when we're done today, I believe that you're going to have direction. Amen? Amen? And I believe that you're going to be able to know and maybe have a, a, a moment with the Holy Spirit today that you'll have at least a leading, okay? And so let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you for these moments we have in this first service. So Father, I pray you'd open every ear in this room, not only to the mind, but to the heart. Father, I declare the wisdom of the Lord in this room. You said in the book of James, if any man lacks it, we can call upon you. You'd freely give it liberally and unbraid us not. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray a release of supernatural wisdom in this place. So that, Lord, in this room, every person under the sound of my voice and in this incredible church, planted in this church, would leave with a, with a position in the Lord that they would know this is the direction I'm to go. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus... Father, speak through this mind, speak through these vocal cords, all of you, none of me, I pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said amen. 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 I want to take a moment and talk to you about how to find this assignment that God has placed in your heart. 
Um, if, you, if you didn't realize, you were created for a purpose. And let me say this, God doesn't make average. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and tell him God doesn't make average. So there's nothing about God that's average. Look at his creation. Look at the flowers. If you, if you think God is an average God and you look at a flower and the intricacies of a flower, it, 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 you just, you can't, you got a, you got a small picture of God. Because the Bible says you're the apex of his creation. So if he didn't do that with what we see in the mountains and the trees and the flowers, what do you think he's got in store or inside of you? So God doesn't create average. So if you're here today and you're not really feeling fulfilled, there is a possibility that maybe you're in the wrong assignment. Or maybe the enemy has beat on you long enough to where you have just coexisted with what is. Now, I have learned that speaking about what is doesn't change what is. Because all through the Bible, God tells us to begin to declare into our future, declare into what's on the inside of us. Because destiny is not in front of you. Destiny is within you. You were given a God-given destiny from the moment you came into this world. I hear people say, well, I'm going to chase destiny. No, you can't chase it. It's in you. God has already downloaded it in you. Your job is to unpack it. Your job is to get in an environment, because I have learned certain things grow in certain environments, and I've learned certain things die in certain environments. And so your job is to get plugged in the right place at the right time in the right season so that that thing, that destiny on the inside, begins to grow. God didn't call you to be average. God called you to do supernatural things and to be fulfilled and to be just so full of joy that everybody around you wants to know what in the world are you on? So I want to take a moment this morning, and I'm gonna, if you're taking notes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a lot of stuff, and I pray that I can I'll get through all this in 24 minutes. If not, you'll just have to stay for the second service. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, please understand, <laughs> please understand your assignment, and this is so important. This right off the bat, you need to write this down. Your assignment is not a decision. It's a discovery. Your assignment's not a So I don't want you to think this morning, well, I, I'm going to, that's it. I'm deciding today. Well, it's not a decision. It's a discovery. All right? Now, go with me. If you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm going to read just a few verses. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 5 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Before you were even formed in the womb, he knew you. That, that scripture just, it messes with me. Because he knew you so much. He knew you before you ever were formed. That means he's got a plan greater than you could imagine. His plan for you is greater than you could ever imagine. Now, jump over to Jeremiah 29, 11, One of the most famous passages of scripture in the book of Jeremiah. Because when you read the book of Jeremiah, you want to race to 29 or chapter 1. Because everything else gives you depression. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. <laughs> I'm just kidding about this. I'm going, oh, man, no. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen. That's incredible. That is incredible. You need to stand on that this morning as we're unpacking this. So number one, I want you to write this down. Your assignment in life is any problem that you were created to solve on this earth. Your assignment on this earth will be any problem that you were created to solve on this earth. Think about it this way. When you die, you'll be remembered for two things. The problems you create 
or the problems you solve. Think about it. When you leave this earth, you're going to be remembered by those two things. They're not going to remember your haircut or the lack of a haircut. They're not really going to remember the size, whether you're round, skinny, whatever it might be. But they're going to remember the problems you solve or the problems you create. Please, please, I want you to think with me on this thought right here. Because think of it this way. A life without cause is a life without effect. Think with me, all right? A life without cause. There are so many people that are just existing. And understand this. A life without cause will always be a life without effect. And you were called and created to solve something, to have an effect on something. Now, some of the thoughts I have underneath this is creativity is a search for solutions. See, I, I, I like to talk to people about creativity. If I had time, I would just do a whole thing on that because so many people go, well, Pastor that, or Rusty, that's not me. I'm not creative. I'm, I'm, I'm not the creative type. I'm not sanguine. I, I, I'm, I'm melancholy. I'm a facts guy. I, I, I'm a non-risk taker. Please understand this. I think when you say you're not creative, it is a slap in God's face. Here's why. God is the creator. Therefore, he's creative, and you're like him, so therefore you are creative. The enemy has lied to you to tell you you're not creative. See, because creativity on the inside of you is a search for solutions. Think about it. The eyeglasses were created for those who have a hard time seeing like me. Anybody like me that you get your eyes checked, you get a new pair of glasses, six months later you're going, you're squinting again. I'm so grateful for whoever came up with those things because I would not be able to see anybody, which sometimes in certain churches I go to, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> but not here because you're beautiful. Tell the person next to him, you're beautiful. There you go. Make them feel better. And if you say, well, Pastor, Russ, that's not true. You're speaking by faith. Faith church. Okay, here we go. Creativity is a search for solutions. Eyeglasses were created for those who have a hard time seeing. Think about it. Sound systems, why do we have them? Sound systems were created because people couldn't hear in large settings like this. It would be crazy to try to do this without a sound system, right? Sound system would create. So creativity is a search for solutions. So when you're discovering what you're supposed to do, God has got creativity in you to search for those solutions. So you start to think outside the box. Now, here's what happens in life. Problems come, right? I call them challenges because when you really look at a problem, problems are simply catalysts for creativity. Problems are a catalyst for creativity. Think about it. Um, uh, you know those sticky notes that are right here. There's one right here. There's sticky notes, and it says, please shut up. I don't know why that's here. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. I'm just kidding about that. But sticky notes. Have you ever studied the guy that created these? It was, it, it was weird. It was an, almost by accident. He was creating something else because he had a problem, and he was getting creative, and lo and behold, he came up with this incredible thing called a sticky note. Everybody on the planet uses these things, okay? Problems. He had a problem, and it was a catalyst, it was a catalyst for the creativity to come. Think about it. We buy cars because cars solve a problem. How many is grateful you didn't walk today? I'm so, I tell the Lord all the time, God, I'm so grateful that I was created in the season that I was created. Because when I read history books and I see that they didn't have running water and they were using trees as bathrooms and they had to ride a horse to town. I know you guys like horses here. Pretty much, if they're bigger than me, I'm scared of them, <laughs> period. So if I had to ride a horse, I would have been staying in a tent somewhere because I would not be here today. And as you can tell, I don't walk a lot. And so I'm grateful. Cars 
solve a problem. Okay, now every part of you, I want you to think about this, because this is how God created you. God created you to solve problems. You say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. Think about it. Everything on you solves a problem. Your eyes solve a problem, right? How many is grateful for your eyes? You got mine in the air. Hallelujah. Your ears solve a problem, right? Your nose solves a problem, right? How many is great? Oh, man, I'm telling you, when they brought that bacon Alfredo sauce, mm. Praise the Lord. Too bad they're not open today. I would ask to go there again. Um, but everything about us and in us solves a problem. Now, what we read in Jeremiah chapter 1 is we see that God is willing to assist us in figuring out our assignment and to where and to whom we are sent. All right, so your first one to understand is this. You were created to solve a problem, and the problems that you solve we're going to lead you into your assignment. Okay, so number two. So how, how do we figure out what problems we're to solve? Let me give you some ideas. Number two, what you love is a clue to the gifts and the wisdom that you contain on the inside of you to complete your assignment. What you love is a clue. I say it this way. Your love is a map to your wisdom. The love that you have. I always tell people this, and I encourage them because so many people, this world we live in is scary because, you know, with the economy that's in, with all that's happening in the world, man, you turn on the news and you, you just need to go to the doctor and get pills because it's just that, it's just depressing. And so you get people that are risk lock. I call it risk lock. Just the world we live in, it's, it's we don't know what to do. I'm just going to stay where I'm at because where I'm at safe, where I'm at, no one messes with me. But, but all of a sudden, you have this passion. And when you don't know what you're called to do, follow your passion. Because love, or your passion, is a map to your wisdom. Now, when you love something, think about it this way. You begin to give birth to extraordinary tenacity. Amen. Parents, think about it. When your kids came, man, you just love them. And you have tenacity for them, even when they make you pull your hair out, right? How am I saying, amen? Yeah. But there's such tenacity there. Why? Because that love gives birth to extraordinary tenacity. Love will give birth to determination. When you love something, you're determined. So it's a clue. You start to ask, where's my passion in life? Where do I really love? I ask this question a lot of times, and you've heard this. You've had to have heard this before. It's a, it's a, it's a question to get you thinking. If money was not involved, what would you do? See, because I understand we have to do certain things because money's an exchange system on this planet, right? So I, don't hear me telling you to run out here and everybody quit their jobs. Don't do that. That would be bad. I would never get to come back. <laughs> he calls me and says, hey, I just had a, hundreds of people quit their jobs. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm changing my number. So, uh, you know, no, I understand we have to pay the bills. We got to exchange. But, but if, if it wasn't involved, what do you love? Because it's a clue to your life assignment. All right, now, I want you to write this down. Don't move away from the essence of what God made you, okay? And there's, it's, it's unique. I want you to hear this. Understand the importance of being unique. Um, so many people in this culture, because of the media and what we see, we're almost sometimes wanting to be like cookie cutters. We see something and we're like, I want to be like that. Listen to me. God wants you to be you. God didn't need the media to make people, you know, figure out who they are. He's got that covered. 
He's not worried about what so-and-so is doing down the street or what somebody's doing in another state or what this person's doing in New York or over here. He's got you on purpose where you're at, and he's made you unique, okay? Your distinctions have to be discovered. If you're really going to follow what God wants you to be in life, you've got to understand you're, you're, you're unique, and there are some certain distinctions you have that nobody else has, okay? Write this down. Sameness creates comfort. And we see this a lot in our world today. We, 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 we stay in a certain career because maybe dad was in that career or grandfather was in that career or that's all I've ever been told. And, and, and it creates a comfort in our life, doesn't it? Sameness. Hey, I'm a creature of habit. I love that. When I go to restaurants that I know, I order the same thing. I don't care what state I'm in. Amen. Here's why. Because I have a beautiful, lovely wife and she is the unique one that likes to order these new things. And what happens is I order the thing that's good, and she orders something that's unique, and it ends up being horrible. Guess who gets to eat the horrible? (laughs) See, she's not here, so I can do that. (laughs) Sameness creates comfort. I like to know it's coming out, and it's going to hit those taste buds just right. But difference creates reward. Think of it. Sameness will always create comfort. You can stay the same and be very comfortable in this life. Number one selling chair in the world is what? Lazy boy. It ain't worker boy. You ever thought of that? They wouldn't sell any chairs. Hey, come buy our chair. It makes you want to work. Oh, heck no. They would go broke. Sameness creates comfort, but difference creates reward. You're different. Acknowledge that, and it's okay. It's okay. See, I see a lot of wives going, all right, hon, you're okay. You're okay. We live in a world that always wants us to be cookie cutters or follow the newest fad. I'm encouraging you in order to find your assignment is be unique. There's something in you. The uniqueness is what will create reward in your life. Now, think of it this way. The enemy of meaningful activity is doing meaningless activities. Say that again. The enemy of meaningful activity. What's that mean? What you were created to do. The enemy is masterful at getting you to be mundane and continually always routine, and you feel like your life is just on this conveyor belt just circulating. You know, you feel like you're the washing machine. You're in, you wash, you rinse, and then you do it all over again. Anybody felt that way before? And so understand this. The enemy of meaningful activity is doing meaningless activities. Number three. And I'm hurrying. I got 12 minutes. I don't know how I'm going to get through it all. You're going to have to stay through second service. Thank you. Two people. I'm going to help the attendance by two. (laughs) The rest of the people are like, I don't care what he says. I'm out of (laughs) here. Number three, I got the same folks in Kansas City. They'll look at me and go, Pastor, you preach as long as you want, but 1159, I'm out. See my friends leaving right now. All right, here we go. Number three, uh, what you hate or get really mad about is a clue to something that you are assigned to correct. Think about this. You know, you're created to solve a problem. So what you hate or get really mad about is a clue to something that you are assigned to correct. What makes you angry when you see something? Now, I have people all the time say, Pastor, come pray for me, Rusty, pray for me to remove my anger. I'll never pray that. Anger is a powerful emotion that God gave you. It's how you use it that's the determining factor. A crowbar 
can be used for good. It also can be used to break into someone's house, right? The crowbar's not bad. It's how it's used. Anger is a powerful emotion that God gave you. Never pray, God, take away this anger. Because here, understand something. Nothing changes until someone gets angry. Nothing in your life has ever changed until someone got angry. All right? Anger is a passion. It just, it just requires appropriate focus. Anger is a powerful passion in your life. So you start to ask yourself, okay, what angers me? Because it's a clue to something you're called to change. Anger is a powerful passion, but it requires appropriate focus. Look at it this way. Anger is actually the birthplace for solutions. Anger is the birthplace for solution. Anger is a clue to what you're assigned to solve. Nothing changes until someone focuses their anger. I like to say it this way. An angry man or woman is an awakened man or woman. An angry man or woman is an awakened man or woman. Now, in a world of comfort, sameness, I like to say it this way. Intolerance of your present actually creates your future. Intolerance of your present creates your future. What angers you? When you look at this world today, what angers you? When you drive down the street, when you're at the schools, you're at the grocery store, you know what angers me is poverty. Listen to me, it's not the government's job to help poor people. It's the church's job. It bothers me because God has given us everything we need to walk in the blessing of God. And I'm at, last I checked, now I could be wrong, but he hasn't run out in heaven. I mean, angels run up there with their checkbooks going, okay, God, you better get a little bit more from the earth. We can't pay for these streets of gold. <laughs> last I checked, he's got it all covered. And it breaks my heart. It angers me. Seeing abused children angers me. Seeing a foster care system where there's kids and homes that shouldn't be. Again, that's not the government's job. I think we put too much on the government. When we become the church, the real church, there won't be a foster kid in the area. Amen? What angers you? Number four. Another clue is what grieves you. When that anger invokes that passion within you and you start to focus that attention, the, second thing, the next thing you look at is what grieves you? What makes you just weep? What grieves you? What breaks your heart? Or let me ask this, when was the last time something did break your heart? You might have to go back to that moment, a season in your life where something was going on in your life and it broke your heart. You saw something, and, and here's how you know. You ever been in a room, and, and something's taking place, and it breaks you, but everybody else is kind of like, what's wrong with them? See, don't get upset about that, and don't worry about what they think, because they have a different assignment. And we don't want to all feel the same way, but something clicked in you, and it began to grieve your heart. Ask yourself, what was it that grieved me? Because that is a clue to something you're called to heal. See, understand something, God wastes no pain. The pain a lot of times that you have gone through is, is a clue to something you're going to heal in somebody else. I call it the wounded healer. 
There's no such thing as an unwounded healer. Every healer or healing thing that takes place in your life comes from somebody who's been down that path. Whatever grieves you, keeps you up at night, makes you just say, God, you've got to do something. Anybody been that way? You prayed? God, you've got to do something. It's a clue to something that you're assigned to heal. What breaks your heart? Think of it this way. Remember, I'll use some people in, in, in the world we live in, Martin Luther King. Let's think about him for just a second. He was so moved and broken by the plight of black people in America that he gave his life to leading the civil rights movement. How about Mother Teresa? Man, there's, she gave us thousands of quotes for us preachers to use to look real good. But Mother Teresa was crushed by the poverty in Calcutta. And she gave her life for it. I like John Knox. I read a lot about John Knox. He was so burdened for souls in Scotland that his famous prayer was this, God, give me Scotland or die. That was his prayer. Everywhere he went, he was so burdened for Scotland. He said, God, give me, not just one. See, sometimes I think our prayers are too small. A prayer is a picture of your faith. And when we say, well, God, give me my neighbor, your prayer is too small because that means your God's too small. He didn't pray, God, give me one street in Scotland. He said, God, give me Scotland or die. But he was moved with passion. Moses saw the suffering of the Hebrew, Hebrews, you know, he saw them. To where he rejected his royal upbringing to go and lead his people. In the New Testament, Paul was devastated that the Jews had rejected the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah. That's what moved Paul, was when the Jews began to reject that Jesus was actually the Messiah. He was moved, he was grieved. What grieves you? What breaks your heart? You see, caring qualifies you as an instrument of healing. Caring qualifies you as an instrument of healing. Now, let me say it this way. Because when you get around people, and I'm trying to give you practical things this morning, and you say, well, okay, I have a lot of things that grieve me. Okay, when you get around people, you ask yourself, whoever unlocks my compassion are those whom God is sending me or assigning me to. You can get around people, and and it doesn't happen all the time, but you get around, uh, maybe it's a, a type of children, or, you know, Think of, think of it this way. You know, autism has been around a long time, but people got angry about it. I'm using, you see what I'm saying? And now we have Autism Day. Five years ago, we didn't have that. But did we have autism? Yes, we did. But someone got angry. And someone said, that's it, I'm grieved. And then you see these giant movements. Hal Donaldson, one of my friends, he's the president and CEO of Convoy of Hope. I was just with him in Jacksonville speaking for him. And his parents were hit by a drunken driver. And they were killed. And he was so moved that him and his brother, that the, every night someone would show up at their house with groceries. He was so moved by somebody would do that. You know what he's done? Out of the back of a station wagon, he created Convoy Hope. And now over one million children a day are being fed because of Convoy Hope. Because something triggered in him through a painful experience. See, the same thing. you got to go back and say, okay, God, all these experiences I've been through, you, you work everything out together for the good, and you make no mistakes, so I need to kind of open my eyes and not just throw them off to the side and say, ah, it's just life. No, and, and start to recognize what happened there, what turned on the inside of me, what has grieved me. When I get around certain people, do they unlock my compassion? Because if they do, those are whom I'm assigned to go to. What makes you cry is a clue to a problem God has anointed you to change. 
I don't have time, but I, I could take you to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, one of the greatest stories about this, he saw a broken, desolate wall. And at the time, he was just a cupbearer. He wasn't a great leader with a lot of money. But something grieved him. And what made him cry was a clue of the anointing that God had put on his life. Whatever makes you cry is a clue to the anointing that God has on your life. Now, sidebar, please understand, the presence of God is the only cure for wounded people. I hate the phrase when I hear people say, Rusty, time heals. If time heals, God is unnecessary. Don't buy into that dumb phrase that people say. I know it's a catchy phrase that we say, oh, it's okay, you'll be all right, time heals. No, it doesn't. Only God heals, amen? So tears are also a clue to where God is going to use us the most. Number five, and I'm, I'm hurrying. I got a minute 52, right? I got five minutes? Okay, good, good. Okay, thank you. I'm going to take that. How many think I should keep preaching? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's not as bad as head bowed. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. I got, no, no, I won't do that. I want to. And, I, and whatever I don't get to, I'm sure they do a CD or DVD or something you can get to, and, or you can just stay around and worship with us again. Um, Number five, it's important. If you rebel against your assignment, that's a tough one. I don't focus on this a lot, but if you rebel against your assignment, God may permit painful experiences to correct you. I know that's tough, but if I took you to the book of Jonah, you'd see this in play, right? God told him to go where? Nineveh, right? He said, I ain't doing it. You know the story. Dude got swallowed by a fish. <laughs> Now, let, let, let's reverse that for a moment because I know that God will never, he's, he's, he, he, if you rebel against the assignment, God could and may permit some experiences to correct you, right? We've all had those in our life. But let me say it this way because I need you to hear this. Let's reverse it for a moment because each act of obedience, and watch this. This is, this, this is how my mind works. Each act of obedience that you say, okay, God, I'm not asking you today to take a leap and bound. I call them baby steps. Because if you change 1% a day after 30 days, you've changed 30%. That's not rocket science. But I tell people it's all about baby steps. Because here's the, what the enemy would want you to do. He'd want you to leave this room this morning and say, you know what, I'm going to go conquer the world. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And then you don't do it tomorrow. And then he beats you up and says, you're foolish. You're, 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 you know, you're dumb. You're not, and then all of a sudden you quit. Baby steps, okay? Each act of obedience that you make, one little baby step. Watch this shortens the distance of any miracle you're in pursuit of. Some of you are believing God for some great things in 2015. Don't try to, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Some of you are going to eat, no, I ain't no elephant. No, that's the old phrase. Well, how do you get closer to God? One step at a time. Each act of obedience, see how I'm doing this? Shortens the distance of any miracle you're pursuing. And when you start to unpack this and you realize, okay, okay, God's calling me to do this. Now, God loves you so much. Some of you are a little bit older in the room, so maybe you've got to make some half baby steps and a half. <laughs> but the younger ones start doing baby steps. Maybe you, you know that you know, and maybe you're in this room and you know God has just, I mean, he's even wrote it on the wall. Maybe you need to take the bigger leaps, but baby steps because each act of obedience shortens the distance of any miracle you're pursuing. But please understand, God will not be ignored without consequences. Never misjudge God when it comes to your assignment. He never ignores tiny acts of defiance. Think about it. 
the story of Achan. Achan's disobedience cost an entire nation. You have to understand, look at your assignment like a giant puzzle. And you're putting a puzzle together. You know, it's, it's frustrating in the beginning because you're looking at pieces going, I have no clue what that is. Anybody done that before? You're like, what in the world is that? And as they start to go together, you start to realize that that piece is important because it connects to this piece. And that piece is important because it connects to this piece. Now, watch this. How many's ever done an entire puzzle and you get to the end and you're missing one piece? Can I tell you, let me ask you, where does your eye go? To the missing piece. See, your assignment is not just about you. But there's others that are waiting on you to do your thing so they can connect to your thing so that somebody else can connect. That's how God works. And so that's why God takes this so seriously, and he never ignores tiny acts of defiance. Now, really quick, when, when, when pain shows up, I don't think all pain is bad. I don't know about you, but when pain has showed up through my mistakes, my misjudgments, my wrongdoings, it's not been all bad. So let me quickly give you six rewards of pain, and then I'm going to be all done. I'm going to try. Uh, just somebody wave at me when I need to be done. Six rewards of pain. Number one, pain forces you to look. Pain will always force you to look to the Word of God. You ever notice that when you have a painful experience, where do you go? The Word of God. If you're a Christian, you go right to the Word of God. Pain forces you to look. Pain forces you to lean. It'll cause you to lean on God and not men. When you go through a painful experience in life, you ever notice that? It forces you to want, you know, you're, you, get, you get your face in the floor and you're like, God, I'm leaning on you. Number three, pain forces you to learn. Pain will always show you where you turned left when you should have turned right. Number four, pain forces you to, to long, long for his presence, long for his healing. It creates a hunger. Hunger is, a, hunger is like focus. It's magnetic. Whatever you're hungry for today, 99.9% of the time, you're going to go get what you're hungry for. I mean, what I'm talking about, right after church? If you're hungry for fried chicken, how many know you're going to find some fried chicken? Right? Okay. Number five, pain forces you to listen. Six, pain forces you to love. Your si number six, your assignment will require seasons of preparation. Please understand that. It's so key. When you start hearing the voice of the Lord and you start going, okay, this is what I'm created to solve this is what keeps me up at night. This is what angers me. This is what grieves me. It'll cause you to be in a season of preparation. Please understand, you are not born qualified. You become qualified. Think about it. Moses spent 40 years learning. Then he spent 40 years with sheep. Jesus spent 30 years preparing. Now, let me say it this way. Some seasons, you may not understand his workings. Think of it this way really fast because you might be in a season right now and you think, well, Everything you're saying, I'm, I've got the wrong job, I've got the wrong house. No, 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 you understand. Jesus spent 30 years doing what? Being a carpenter, right? Do we ever have any recordings in the Bible where after he healed someone, he built them shelves? <laughs> Some of you are looking going, hmm. Can you imagine? He raises someone from the dead and goes, oh, by the way, your stairs are broken. I'll take care of that on my way out. <laughs> Think about it. Most people would go, well, why was he doing that? He, was not, he wasn't out practicing in the backyard healing sheep. He wasn't even in his assignment. No, no, he was, right, <laughs> he was right where God wanted him. A lot of times your assignment will come out of the season that you're in right now. You might feel like, oh, man, I don't, I, nothing in my job grieves me. Not, I'm just existing, but please understand, you might be in a season of preparation that the people around you, because listen to me, David had to have a Saul in order for him to be a David. 
David didn't ask for Saul to throw spears at anybody. He had to have that in order for him to be the king that God wanted him to be. You might be in a Saul experience right now. Okay? Gee, it's a preparation time. So what I'm saying to you, embrace the present and extract what God wants you to extract because there's benefits in everything. Number seven, you're going to only succeed in your assignment when it becomes an obsession in your life. When it keeps you up at night, when you are determined, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. God, I'm going to be everything you want me to be. And I'm going to start reading every... You get get an idea of what what you're called to solve. Get every book out there on it. Well, I don't like to read. Well, that's a problem. They have a thing called audiobooks now. Get the DVD. Do whatever it takes. But when you feel like you've gotten in an area where it breaks your heart or it's grieving you and you're angry about it and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to study this. I'm, it's going to become my obsession. Focus is magnetic. The only reason men fail is when they break their focus. The greatest deterrent to sin in your life is focus. The greatest deterrent to sin. Think about it. You only sin when you break your focus. You with me? Great men and women don't just blow it. They break focus and then they blow it. Focus is magnetic. What you focus on, you zoom in on, you begin to attract into your life. Jesus rebuked any person that broke his focus. That you can go to Mark 8 and you can see that. When he told Peter, get behind me. <laughs> One of my favorite stories. Closest disciple and he tells him, he basically says, you know, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. I just, that's awesome. And then Peter goes on and does great stuff for the Lord. So let me give you, I'm going to try. Can I got time? Six keys really fast. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to do this in one minute. <laughs> I'm going to just give this to you, then, then I'll unpack them more in the next service. Six keys to develop an obsession. How do you do that? Number one, identify any distraction. If, you're gonna, if you feel like God has called you into a certain area, okay, and you feel, that you, okay, I know what grieves me, I know what angers me, so that's a sign that's something I'm called to be involved in. So I'm going to start studying that area. I'm going to put my mind to work. I'm going to put my heart to work. I'm going to, t- you know, I'm going to eliminate everything else, the frilly stuff, and I'm going to focus there. Identify any distraction. Now, realize this thought. Those in your life that cannot increase you will inevitably decrease you. When God wants to do something in your life, he'll send a person. When the enemy wants to do something in your life, he'll send a person. You have to have discernment to know the difference. You ever notice that? But you got to realize that those who cannot increase you will inevitably decrease you. Number two, you got to be ruthless in refusing any responsibilities unrelated to your assignment. You're going to have to focus and be ruthless. Number three, you got to learn to become an expert in your assignment. Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours in any given subject to be an expert. Thought hours. 10,000 hours to become an expert in any one given subject. Number four, Avoid any conversation with those who disrespect your assignment. You'll always have people trying to talk you out of what God told you to do. You ever notice that? I tell people all the time, if I'm ever sick, don't tell anyone. Because I don't want people to come help me die. Man, they'll start planning your funeral before you even died. Man, I was in my, my grandfather the other day. We were just talking positive, And in comes a relative going, hey, we're going to do the funeral in Atlanta. I'm like, he can still hear you. I'm just like, I'm like, you're a relative, right? Hit you in the throat. I did say that, actually. <laughs> That's why I'm here today and not there. Um, 
I told Joel, it's probably good. Remember I, told, I said, I better back out of the situation a little bit. Number five, this is important. I wanted to get here. Prepare for adversity. When you discover your assignment, you'll discover your enemy. Now, please understand, there's a necessity of an enemy in your life. Goliath was David's ticket to the palace. There is a necessity to the enemy in your life. Let me say it this way. When the enemy is attacking, that means you're next in line for promotion. Think of it that way. David would have never made the palace without Goliath. Goliath was his ticket to the palace. There is a necessity in your life. See, I have people all the time, oh, I got all these enemies. Oh, be ready. You're in next in line for promotion. That's good. Because when you discover your assignment, you will then discover your enemy. Number six, disconnect from any relationship that does not celebrate your obsession. How many would agree wrong relationships drain you? Yeah, right. Let me give you a phrase because this is, I'm telling you, whew, this is where I see the enemy always working in people's life. Watch this. When fatigue walks in, faith walks out. You will never accomplish the assignment God has stamped in your heart when you're fatigued. And the enemy is masterful at putting people in your life. And I'm, let me say it this way. You ever seen a leech before? And don't nudge your neighbor. And that doesn't mean they're a bad person. That just means you're not assigned to be with them. But the enemy is masterful at putting people in your life that drain you. Why? When fatigue walks in, faith walks out. You with me? And, and that's, see, the enemy, enemy doesn't know your future, but he, has, he works in the sense world. So he can sense when you're getting close to the bullseye. So what's he going to do? He's going to get every relative, and all of us have them crazy ones. <laughs> How many's got a crazy relative? Now look at the people not raising their hand because they're the one. I, I'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> I'll close with that. Uh, and and, I'll, and there's only a few more things I'm going to touch on in the next service. But when you change your focus, please understand this, and you get your focus, your feelings will follow. People have this thought that their feelings, they can feel their way into an action. That's, that's baloney. When you change your focus, your feelings will follow. You have to act your way into a feeling. Sometimes your assignment isn't going to feel right. Do not be messed up with your feeler. Your feeler is, a lot, is broken. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, okay? And, and your mind, I always tell people, you go with your heart and you go with peace. Colossians 3.15 says that the peace of God rule your heart. And say, you're, you know what I'm saying? Here's why. Your mind is crazy. You ever done this before? You tell yourself, I'm going on a diet. I am not going to eat anything. You go to a work party and someone's got a big chocolate chip cookie and you're like, well, one won't hurt. And then you eat it, and then you go, ah, it's not bad. The same mind that told you not to just told you to do it. You can't feel your way into your destiny. You've got to focus your way and act your way into a feeling. Right choices bring right emotions. All right? And you'll never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. And the proof of your desire will always be found in your pursuit. You with me? And so when you make your assignment, your obsession, here's what happens. Wrong relationships will start to die. And when your obsession is to do the right thing, wrong people will find you unbearable. And that's tough for some of us. But if for, for your assignment to be what God wants, it's got to become an obsession. 
total focus.